Good morning. Good to see you. Good to be back with you. It's always good to be home. We have more than one home, as uh, most of you do too, wherever family is, that's home for us. And so uh, it was good to be home in Florida. It's good to be back home with you here today. Uh, we had a wonderful visit with uh, Tressa's folks. We were able to stop over in uh, Atlanta and see her brother, one of her brothers, and his family, and cousins got to play and swim and all that. There were Lots of grandkid time, which is the most important part of a vacation that you get that taken care of. And, you know, it's funny because these days with Facebook and FaceTime and unlimited calling and all kinds of, of connectivity, uh, it's really a great day and age to stay connected. Uh, there's so many opportunities. And I think we've come to take that for granted now. And so, you know, when you show up someplace that you haven't physically been to in, uh, you know, perhaps a year, and it's almost like... Nobody pays you much attention because they've been seeing you on Facebook every day. And so, you know, they know what you've been doing. They know what the kids have been doing. They know what you look like. And so it's just a little bit different. I remember when I was a kid, I would see my grandmother sitting at her kitchen table, and she would handwrite a letter to each one of her siblings. She had, I think it was four sisters, I think, and one brother. And so each week... Somebody was getting a letter, and she was receiving a letter from somebody. And so sometimes, you know, she would read those to me. And it was really neat. Um, and as long as my great-grandmother was living, she would, you know, they would exchange letters too. And so uh, they were spread out from, from Texas to Illinois. And so these letters were coming and going, and this correspondence. And it was a big deal to open the mailbox and see one of those letters from, from your brother or your sister or your child or your parent, and so uh, sometimes she would read them to me, and it was a wonderful experience. And some of you have experienced the age of letter writing. Uh, you know, we've been through that, and for the rest of us, you can imagine that feeling when your ringtone goes off, or when your notification chimes, and, ooh, is there something for me? Somebody's got something for me, and so you know what that feels like. But we struggle, I think, to grasp the significance still of receiving a handwritten letter from someone such as the Apostle Paul at a time like that. So this was a big deal. This hand-selected messenger of Jesus Christ who bore the words of the Holy Spirit of God to His people, to Christians, then and now, whether spoken or written, he carried this message. And in this godless region of the Mediterranean, these struggling Christians delighted in receiving these words from the Apostle Paul. And so we're drawing near to the close of this letter, this study in Paul's writing here to the Ephesians. And he's been urging them to remain strong in a world that's doing everything it can, every example, every opportunity to, to not do the will of God. Stand firm. Hang on. Stay in there. Fight. And use God's tools to do it. Because with faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior and knowing that we are God's people, we have the courage and the ability and the fortitude to stand. And so Paul has urged us here in chapter 6 and verse 10, Finally, be strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of His power. Clothe yourselves with the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And so although we've developed this in some detail throughout our studies here, we've been following a very simple, very basic approach. We look first at the struggle. You know, what, what is this? This conflict that Paul calls it the world rulers of the present darkness. That's who we're up against. These world rulers of the present darkness. And it suggests to us the only adequate explanation of what's going on in the world today 
is there is an unseen battle going on, a spiritual battle that we are in the thick of, we're in the middle of. We're actually the prize for that battle. How about that? And so we saw that this struggle is synonymous with life as we know it. As we look around, it describes everything that's happening right where you live, right where you experience, right where you feel, evil rampant around you, and seemingly everybody and everything doing anything at their disposal to keep us from following God, to discourage us, to drag us down, and to defeat us. And so Paul put it in a a vivid description here of his own experience in his, some of his other writings, he talked about these fightings within and fears without. And that's what we face every day. Fightings within and fears without. And so we spent some time with what the Apostle says should be our response to this struggle. And he described this charge for us to put on the whole armor of God. Take up God's armor that we may be able to stand against all these schemes, these attempts of the devil to tear us down. And so what a tremendously practical section that he gave us here describing how Jesus Christ, who is himself the very armor provided for us, how he can meet every moral and spiritual need that we have. And so we stand firm and we learn here what to do when doubts assault us. We learn here what to do when fears paralyze us, when false teaching deludes us or coldness prevails in our lives and our hearts. And so now the apostle says, okay, when you're facing conflicts, against these schemes of the devil. In chapter 6 and verse 18, we must with every prayer and petition pray at all times in the Spirit and to this end be alert with all perseverance and requests for all the saints. So this is a, a strong and powerful relationship between putting on the armor of God, utilizing the armor of God, and praying. They're joined together. They belong together. In fact, they grow out of each other. And so it's not enough to put on the armor of God. You must also pray. You've got to pray. It's not enough to pray. You must also put on the armor of God. They work together. It's impossible to divide these two. And so attempting to see this, putting on the armor of God is not some mere figurative explanation here that Paul gives us. It's something we actually do. We We have to do it. We have to take action. And it's remembering who Christ is to you, what He has done for us who He is in the universe, in the the, the world order of things. He is the Lord. He's the Messiah. Nothing that was ever created was was made except through Him and with Him. And so it's an adjustment of this attitude as we come to terms with this present struggle, this present experience, and it's an adjustment of the attitude of our heart to the reality of things how they really are. What's going on around us? And our problem with life is that we don't see it as it is. See, it looks to be quite different than it is. And that's why we desperately need and must have the revelation of Scripture because God tells us exactly how it really is. He reveals to us what we cannot see, yet we still feel. He reveals to us what we are struggling with, yet we're not sure how to overcome. And God reveals all that to us through His Holy Word. Life is what God has declared it to be. And so when we face it on that basis, we discover that Revelation is right. It's accurate. God does describe what is happening and more. He tells us why things happen and what lies behind them. He opens our eyes as much as we can see right now in this human experience, this human body. And so all this is part of putting on this armor. It's appropriating Christ to your life in terms of your present situation. And all of that is done in the realm of the thought. 
The Bible calls it the heart. It's our thinking. It's where we process, where we reason, where we make choices, decisions. All of that's done there. It's all done in the realm of the thought life. And it's dangerous to think and to not do. To think and to not take action. And so some Christians can fall into this mindset that, that to be content to just kind of think about doctrinal matters, just focus on doctrinal matters, study doctrinal matters, and think about these great facts that are revealed to us about the Gospel and about life, but never take one single practical application for it in their life. Never do anything about it. Quote, book, chapter, and verse, which is admirable and it's great and it's godly to be able to do that, but if that does not translate into difference in our life, Jesus in our life, the Holy Spirit showing up in our life, then it is futile. It is futile. It is being a hearer and not being a doer. You can be a studier and not be a doer. Sometimes we fall in that mindset. See, we as humans, we receive information first. And we assimilate it, then we correlate it, and then we think it through. And so once that process happens, then we act upon that. What we've thought about, what we've processed, what we've felt. We take action on it. So you've heard somebody say, well, he acted thoughtlessly. Maybe sometimes you've accused yourself of acting thoughtlessly. You know, well, really, that's, it's impossible. When you come down to it, the, the specifics of that, because what we really mean when we say that is someone acted very superficially. They didn't give it enough thought or deep enough thought or thinking about the right things. But they were thinking, you can't not think as long as you're breathing, but it's actually impossible to act without first having a thought. Yet it's very possible to think without ever acting. And that's the trap that we can fall into as Christians. We can think that we are doing God's will, but until that shows up in our life, we're not doing anything that God wants us to do. And so that's what the Apostle's bringing to us here. To think without doing is frustrating. It's like cooking without ever eating. Caleb, how many restaurants would you go to and smell the food and knowing that you could never eat it? You wouldn't go back. It's frustrating. We wouldn't want to do that. Studying and never taking the test. One of the most... Well, actually, this was probably not a good example because it was a blessing and a disguise. But we get... One of the classes I had at Harding was ridiculous. What this professor was asking for us on this test. And so, you know, you study and you sweat and you just come to the conclusion, I'm going to fail this. And you go in, and he walks in, and he says, I know y'all put in a lot of work. Y'all have a good day. There's no test. But then it's like, wait a minute. I want to at least show you what I've done here. That's frustrating in itself. So, you know, to, to think about that. It comes this order. This order. We think, and then we do. So that the complement to putting on the armor of God, the activity which results from it, is to pray. We put on the armor and we pray. We pray with the armor of God. They go hand in hand. And so, first to think through and then to pray. And then thinking through the implications of our faith. When we really sit down and we think about what God has done for us and is doing for us and who Jesus Christ is and who God has allowed Him to be, then that fuels our prayer. It fuels it. We can follow much more easily. And when it comes in that order, it'll be thoughtful prayer. So, oh, I can't think of anything to pray about. Well, how many just maybe stop just a second and think, okay, God sent His Son. They called Him Jesus. Wow, let me pray about that. 
It doesn't take long to have things to pray about. And prayer which has meaning and significance, that's relevant prayer for us. And so if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes our prayers can, I don't know, they can kind of water down. Sometimes they can be just a cut above a childhood prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. Absolutely nothing wrong with a heartfelt prayer in those words. But when our prayer life, our communion with God, remains in a simplistic state, then we are vulnerable. We've got to grow. Grow in our faith. It's what Paul's been urging these Ephesian Christians. He urges us today. Prayer should be an outgrowth of our thoughtfulness about the implications of our faith because that adds depth. It adds meaning and it adds significance to our prayer. So prayer should be pointed and purposeful. And Paul has given us this explanation for this fight that we're in. We must be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His power, His might. Because why? Well, he's told us. Because we're engaged in a spiritual battle against unseen forces and of evil in the heavenly realms. So he told us what equipment we must have and that it's been provided for us so that we can stand firm in this great battle. The full armor of God which enables us to stand firm against this formidable enemy. How formidable? How long has it been since he's got the best of you? with a thought. Paul mentions the belt of truth. He mentions the, the breastplate of righteousness. He mentions the shoes or the boots or the preparation. He mentions the, 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 the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, which we can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so now Paul lays out the battle plan. We've got this armor of God. Now here's how we're going to use it. And this entire letter has been directed at strengthening and building the Christian faith in Jesus Christ. Pushing back against Satan, against what he's trying to do, his task to weaken us and destroy us, to damage and destroy the relationship that we have with God, our faith. So he says in verse 18 here, to pray with every prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit, and to this end, be alert with all perseverance and requests for all the same. So I wonder, why didn't Paul start with this? Why didn't he start his letter with this? Hey, it's Paul. Long time no see. Hey, you guys pray. Pray all the time. Pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. To this end, be alert with all perseverance. Hey, good talking with you. Why didn't he start with that? You know, in the medical practice, you've got a systematic adherence to some, some accepted protocols. No matter which area of, of healthcare you're in, there's some protocol that you follow in order to, to treat your patients, usually organized in some sort of decision tree fashion. So you, you ask, you know, okay, does the patient present with this? Okay, if so, then you do this. If not, then you do this. Okay, if you do this, does it help? Yes, okay, well then we'll do this. If it doesn't help, well then we'll do this. And so, you know, if, if they're better do this, if they're worse, do that. I'm oversimplifying, but I want you to get this point here. You never just pick the protocol at random. I'm going to try this one. I'm going to see what this one does. You, know, you didn't do that. You, you have to recognize the underlying possibilities. Why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? What's the benefit of this? What do I hope to achieve? And so you have to understand the implications of how things work together in order to make the best choice as far as the treatment goes, to recognize and to respond. And so someone who's short of breath because their lungs are filling up with fluid 
gets a decidedly different treatment than someone who's short of breath because they've got a vessel obstructed in their heart. You don't treat them exactly the same. Paul says, pray. Pray. Why would God want to hear from me? Well, chapter 1, because you are chosen. You are rescued by God. You are purchased by God from the death march of sin. That's why we pray. Because God has given us the blessing to prayer by the blood of Jesus Christ. Yeah, but I shouldn't pray. Only the professionals should pray. Only the well-spoken should, should do the praying. Only the Jews should pray. Only the Gentiles should pray. Chapter 2. No, you are saved by God's grace alone. Not because of who you are but because of who He is and who Christ is. You are created for good works in Jesus Christ, unified together, brought together in Jesus Christ. Yeah, but who am I to speak to God? Well, you are the one who through Christ has been afforded this boldness and given access to the throne of God. Chapter 3, that He's already told us that. Who has been created in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That's who you are to approach the throne of God? What am I supposed to say? Well, for starters, give thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. How about start there? When am I supposed to do this? With every prayer and petition, pray at all times. In the Spirit. At all times. Now, don't panic. (laughs) It simply means every opportunity. Every opportunity. Prayer should be on our minds so that it flows. It flows as naturally as when we call someone's attention to something. In life, we're driving down the road. Hey, do you see that over there? When we're going through life, prayer ought to be such that as we live our lives, it's, oh, wow, God, did you... Wow. That it's just right there. It's just the conversation is there just like it is with anybody else that we have a relationship with. See, the people around Ephesus, they had to walk to that structure, that temple of Artemis in order to worship that false god. They had to make an effort to go there, to get there. But we are being built together into a dwelling place for God by His Spirit. Where is God? He is here. He is here. He is here. That's where God is. He is in you. And praying in the Spirit does not entail mumbling unintelligible words or mustering up some super spiritual emotions or or some kind of intonation to make it more effective. Praying in the Spirit is to pray according to the promises of God that He has revealed to us, the Spirit has given to us, and to pray by the character of God which the Spirit has made known. Praying in the Spirit. See, God has never promised to answer just any prayer but He does promise to answer prayer in a way that He has carefully outlined for us. The Bible says it's according to His will. It's the will of God. So understanding the nature of this war, that God acts without partiality as He answers this prayer. He offers this armor to us without partiality for all of those who would accept it through Jesus Christ. When we understand this, that this war that we're engulfed in, and we can readily see the foolishness of wielding any weapon that we can bring to the table ourselves, anything other than the spiritual ones provided by God for our struggle, our striving, our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, 
against the world rulers of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavens. And there are others around us who are younger in Christ than we are. And there are still others around us who are stronger than we are. And we are all fighting this battle together. Same battle. But we cannot put on the armor of God for another person. You cannot put it on for me. Nor can you put it on me. We must take it up for ourselves. For ourselves. But we can pray for one another. We can pray for the other person. We can call in reinforcements. We can find that person engaged in some sort of spiritual struggle that they cannot handle that's greater than for that moment. And we can call in reinforcements for them. Or perhaps a battle for which they are not fully equipped. Or perhaps they have not yet learned how to fully apply the armor of God. If we're truly one body, if we're truly one Spirit, as David brought out in our thoughts this morning, in our communion prayer, if we are truly called to one hope that belongs to our call, serving one Lord through one faith, brought to Him by one baptism, by the grace of God and Father of all, who is over all and in all, we will work. We will work together. And the armor of God will work for us to do exactly what God has designed it to do. And we will be aware of other people's problems. We will consider one another. Open our eyes to the danger. Help one another to realize how much is available. An armor of God. Specific help from God for a specific strength. Specific trial. Paul says, pray for me also. We can't put, couldn't put Paul's armor on him. But we could pray for him. We could lift him up. So he asked his brothers and sisters at this time, pray for me also that I may be given the message when I begin to speak, that I may confidently make known the mystery of the Gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may be able to speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul didn't pray. Pray that I, get, I break out of here. Pray that Caesar drops dead. Pray that you know everybody that's out to, to get me just kills over. No, he said, pray for me that I have strength in this situation where I am, that I may do as God needs me to do, that I may speak boldly when that opportunity comes, that I may confidently make known this mystery of this Gospel that he shares. And we say, well, Paul didn't need that prayer. Paul spoke pretty boldly. He taught a lot of people. He teaches to this day as he's been teaching us. Paul didn't need that prayer, but don't you think it's because God answered the prayers of not only Paul, but those who were praying for him, who knew him and knew his struggles. Don't you think that's why Paul was able to speak boldly and able to accomplish what he accomplished for God? Because God was answering prayers. Paul could have started the letter with, pray for me. And we need to understand and remember why we can, should, and must pray for one another. Absolutely. Because we are God's family. We are more different than alike when you think about it, when you look at us all individually. But the one thing that makes us alike is the greatest thing that could ever be given to each of us. And that's the Spirit of God. That's His Spirit. And that Spirit would not be available if it were not for God's Son, who in obedience to God's will became the reason that I can call you brother or sister. And you call me brother. Each other brother and sister. Or we can even call God Father. Because of Him, this mystery of God made known in Jesus Christ. 
So yeah, we're under new management. The Christian is under new management. When they give themselves to Jesus Christ, they place themselves under new management. And any time there's a change in management, things will not be the way they used to be. In fact, they cannot be. Or else you have not given over to the change. So we've got Ephesians. This Gospel of of Jesus Christ, written by His appointed messenger, inspired by the Spirit of God, given to Christians just like us, who are struggling, who are striving to comprehend what is the breadth, what is the length, what is the height, what is the depth of this love of Christ. Unsurpassing. So that we might be filled filled with all the fullness of God. And when we are filled with God, when we become a vessel through which God can pour His Spirit instead of a a bucket into which we just collect, then the world around us has one more inch, one more span of space where God's glory might be reclaimed. And so when you turn your life over to the new manager, Jesus, then what you do is you can be assured that He will reopen your life for His glory. And He will bless you in ways that you cannot imagine without Him. And He holds for you an eternal glory so that we can enjoy fellowship with each other and with Jesus Christ and with God our Father for eternity. So this morning, who's controlling your life? Who are you living for? Who's living in you? Paul warned us about a spirit of darkness. And that darkness can creep in. It can creep in subtly. We don't realize it until all of a sudden we wonder why the whole world looks dark. Because our eyes have become cloudy. Perhaps with sin. Perhaps with anger. Perhaps with brokenness. See, that's Satan's battle. That's what he wants to do. That's his victory. But God stands today calling you. If it's a sin that has caused this, to repent of it. Recognize it. Repent. Come to Jesus for forgiveness. And God will restore you. If you are not a child of God, I hope if you have heard anything in this study of Ephesians, you have heard how vulnerable you are how lost you will be without Jesus Christ. Not just in eternity, but today. And He calls you. The invitation is there every single day as long as God lets this world still spin. That if you will confess your sins, confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you will repent and come to Him and be baptized into Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of those sins, then God will give you the gift of His Spirit. His Holy Spirit. And as you have heard, what blessing that is. What power there is that God gives us through His Spirit. Today, if you have a need that we can pray for, we can encourage you about, we're going to stand and sing a song. If you want to come forward and you want to share that with these brothers and sisters and allow us to pray with you and encourage you, or perhaps you'd rather talk about this later, then I invite you to reach out to one of our shepherds or to myself. And let us remind you 
the words of Christ. Come to Me, all who are weary and are heavy laden, heavy burdened, and He will give you rest. If you have a need this morning we can help you with, will you come as we stand and sing this song?